Play with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the Robots Podcast. I am Jana and today we're going to talk about two really cool toy robots called Berserker and Brute. As the name suggests, we're not exactly talking about cuddly, peaceful, fluffy robots. Berserker and Brute are anything but. In fact, together, they're known as the Mecha Monsters. Quadruped robots with thick spider-like legs controlled via an app on smartphones or tablets and designed to fight each other. And as if that isn't quite cool enough, users can also use developer software to create new moves that'll give their robot the advantage in battle. And whilst doing so, they might just learn a thing or two about coding. Berserker and Brood were developed by Bristol-based startup Reach Robotics. With these robots, the company is attempting to connect the physical and the digital components of the gaming world. Our interviewer Audro spoke to Silas Adekunli, creator of the Mecha Monsters, about his creation and startup, where he's got to so far and what he plans to do to take his robots to the next level. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hello. Can you introduce yourself and tell me a bit about your background? No problem. I'm Silas Adekunle, the CEO and co-founder of Reach Robotics. Um, in terms of my background, I have a degree in robotics itself. I'm from the, from the UK, so the company is a, a British company, but we are actually currently in San Diego where we've just taken part in the Qualcomm Robotics Accelerator powered by Techstars. So the first one ever, and we've just graduated that uh, just over a week ago, actually. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell me a bit about what Reach Robotics does. So Reach Robotics is developing the world's first intelligent gaming robots. So what we're trying to do, I don't know if uh, how many people are familiar with the movie Big Hero 6 by Disney recently. So if, you have, if you're not familiar with it, check it out. There's... Uh, underground battle robot scene where you know the main kid brings out a robot and is able to battle with people. We're basically allowing you to have everything you fantasized about as a kid, being able to have real robots to battle each other and uh, develop them. So kind of like a robot companion that you take into battle with you. So it's an entertainment uh, consumer product, but the vision's a lot more than that. Gotcha. And what do they look like? Uh, they're called mecha monsters, correct? So they're called Mecha Monsters um, because we're a startup. So the, the branding is actually about to change uh, because we, we've, we've spent a lot of time in the accelerator really focusing on what I will define ourselves as a business. So the branding is about to change and there are a lot of new stuff around, around the corner, which I'll, I'll go into a bit of detail later when we're talking about the product. All right. So can you describe the Mecha Monster? Yeah, no problem. So they are four-legged, uh, so they're quad, uh, quadrupeds. They look a bit like something out of a sci-fi movie, so about the size of a, a kitten, I'd say. Um, and they, they walk around, so, so legged robots. They've got weapon ports on the back. You can actually see a picture of one of the old prototypes. So the, the design has actually changed itself, but you can see a picture of one of the old prototypes. That's, just, that's similar to what we have now on our website as well. Mm -hmm. 
And so, what are the weapon ports? Uh, can you attach new weapons, and are they? Do they actually do anything? Yeah. So, so, the, so the way the system works. So maybe it's, it's good if I describe what they actually do. So, we've got these uh, these robots, and what we're doing is applying gameplay mechanics to them. So, you start with your robot at level one, so to say, and the more you train with it, so <clears throat> so by battling other players or by engaging in activity or exploring this world that we're creating, the story world that we're putting behind the robots, the stronger they become. And what that means is that you can then start to add on weapons and shields, and, and they don't just change the way your robot looks, so you can tailor your mechamon to your mecha monster to look the way you want it to. But they also improve your performance in battle, so that they've got pieces of electronics in them that allows the robot to attach and exactly what functionality it's adding to the robot itself. Gotcha. So what would the, how would you describe the weapons? Is it, it's a little click-on piece that has some sort of electronics so the robot registers that it's there? Is yeah, that that's right. So, so the, each weapon has an ID that, that plugs into the robot where we plan to have different types. So some different levels of functionality. So weapons with actual moving parts, so a bit more premium and, and weapons by themselves that are just lit but, but look really awesome. But each weapon or add-on, as we call them, has a piece of electronics in there that has an ID with it for the rope, so it becomes part of the system, so to say. And so things like the shield, that's entirely in the user's imagination, except for it registers on the smartphone controller for the mecha monster correct um no so it, it um when you, you put the shield on it actually clips onto the leg of the robot if, if that's what you mean so it's a physical item oh, I that see. clips on yeah so that clips onto the leg of the robot so there are ports on the leg of the robot and on the back of the robot so we call them uh hard points um, these are all the gameplay mechanics or the, the terminology for the Mecha Monster world that we haven't put out there yet because we've been trying to get the foundation right. So over the next few months, what we'll start to do is be more sort of engaging with, uh, with our early adopters so that you, we know exactly what we're putting to market um, next year. But there are hard points on the leg of the robot and on the shoulder of the robot and on the back of the robot. And on these hard points, on the legs, you can put shields, so for defense, and on the back, you can put weapons. I see. And so what does a battle actually look like with two users controlling the mechabots? We're focusing on the main if we, if we gaming system in itself. We've been focusing on two different types of gameplay. So there's one, which is this, uh, we're creating a story world where you know, the, the, you're able to compete with other robots and there's a full tournament and gameplay mechanics to it. And then we have a uh, game instantiation, so like little games, which are, which are more of the sticky stuff. So when your friend comes over, you can literally just play with yourself. So this includes stuff like uh, sumo games and flipping the other person's robot over. But what we're really, because the robots are maneuverable, we're focusing on allowing you, to, allowing you to think about the strategy of a gameplay. So, for example, there are skills where you can stun your opponent's robots for a few seconds. So, and the robot will just stay there and not be able to move because you know, they need five seconds to wait. And that gives you opportunity to get behind your opponent. It's one of those things that's um, better experienced than described, so to say. 
So you'd be able to sneak behind your opponent's robot and then do higher damage. So it's a, it's a very interactive gameplay where you're trying to use the world around you to your advantage. So hide behind a table leg, things like that, to try and ensure that you outsmart your opponent. All right. So what sensors are on board that allow for the robots to battle? Yeah, no problem. So the main sensors that we have there, so we've got an IMU. So, um, uh, so measurement unit. An accelerometer, gyroscope, um, on the robot itself to know its orientation, so its own personal state. And then for the interaction between them, we have uh, infrared transmitters and receivers, so for distance and orientation from each other. And that allows us to... So that's, those are the things that we plug into the gameplay mechanics itself. So how far are you from, from your opponent, and can you see them, and where, what part of their body can you see, and, and things like that. Which direction... Are the infrared emitters and receivers, which way are they in the front of the robot, or how uh, does it work? Oh, every the four sides of the robot. And are you, so, are you changing the way that they emit based on the side? So, um, I don't know, some sort of light signal that you can detect and to tell if the robot is turned. Exactly. So it's, uh, it's you know you've got different IDs, so to say, for each side. So you know that I'm reading you know one for front, four for the back. So, yeah. Gotcha. So that's how you make sure that if the robot attacks and it's facing the wrong way, that it doesn't register. I see. So for an attack to hit, it has to the robots have to be within a certain distance and facing the correct direction. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the, there are different types of attacks, and you know this will be for the for the people that really want to get into the gameplay. So for example, there are some attacks that are that don't care about direction. So in in gameplay, stuff like. Um, Area attacks, where area of effect attacks. Where Say it again. Matter. What kind of attacks? Area of effect. So oh, I see. Area. Sorry, my voice is a bit uh, croaky. Um, so and, like a ground and, smash or something. Exactly, like a like a smash, and it doesn't matter where your opponent, as long as they are within a certain distance, the orientation doesn't matter so much. Mm-hmm. So if I was a slick kid, could I cheat by covering up my infrared detectors in certain directions so that my opponent can hit me from the side or something? Yeah, you could, but that would make you a, a spoil sport. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, you know, once once we start to get into the gameplay testing, we'll have our own methods of making sure that people don't cheat uh, too much. But at the end of the day, in every game, you'll have the hackers and the people that you know that want to outsmart everyone else, and we like that. You know, people are going to be able to hack this stuff to bits, and and we want that. So we just hope that our customers will be fair players and not, uh, you know, annoy their friends too much. Much into much of a yeah small sport. I see. So, are you making this open to the development community? Like, do you see research labs? Def- using definitely. It? So, it's it's part of the story of the company. You know, this this all started because uh, you know I was initially going into schools teaching kids robotics, and it's something that we love very much. And all of us, you know, engineers and teams, we want that. So, we, we have to be careful how we how we roll it out, just to make sure that people don't brick their their robots. But it's something that's part of the, 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 the plan for us to have versions that people can just take apart and use for development itself. Gotcha. Uh, so for the hackers, will it have its own operating system on it, like its own little Linux that can pull up? We're, we're considering it. So, so this, this is, we're still debating exactly how we're, how we're going to do it. So I don't want to make any, any promises, but we, we want it to be, um, to be accessible and easy to use. To I see. Okay, so... But the primary focus is for this, the mecha 
monsters yeah. to be put into the toy industry. Yeah, so the entertainment industry, where, 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 you know, we we call ourselves a, a robotics gaming company for for a reason because we we think um, the amount of work that's going into this product and the the experience that we're putting together, it puts it, you know, in the you're you're familiar with Skylanders, uh, right? Skylanders uh, by Tell me about it. So Skylanders by Activision is a is a game where you can buy figurines and use that to unlock um, characters in a video game. So it's it's the product that straddles the physical and and virtual world. So the lines are starting to blur a bit. So it's for the product, you know, in in the next five ten years, the kind of products that are going to be market is going to be hard to define them as toys or games. I, I believe. So we find ourselves in the in this spot where we. Halfway between the the toy or the entertainment market and halfway between the the, the gaming uh, market, but to kick off, we are you know releasing this product for entertainment initially. For entertainment, and what kind of people do you see buying this? Is it for children primarily? Like, yeah. so we've um, from interacting with our customers, we've had interest from childrens or or children all the way up to. Adults, so these are people with the disposable income that are a bit nostalgic. You know, they've always dreamt of this as a kid, and we're now giving it to them. So we we we're lucky because we have a product that appeals to so many people: you know, boys, girls, um, adults, people that are very techy to people that just want to see their robot beat the crap out of another robot. So we've um, we've, we've we consider ourselves to be a consumer uh, product. We envision that the kind of people that will buy it initially are going to be tech-savvy people until the brand sort of takes off and it becomes a general sort of market um, item. So tech-savvy people to begin with, not kids? So in, because we, as part of our go-to-market uh, plan, we, do, we, we have a campaign in mind that we're, going to, that we're going to launch and the kind of people online that will have this campaign are going to be people that have access to the internet and things like that. Maybe some parents that want to buy it for their kid, but in the short term, it's going to be um, someone that's on Kickstarter, for example, that will be able to that will be able to have initial access to it. And there's a, there's a reason for that. This is a very complex product and a very unique product, and we want to do it justice, and we want to give access to people that will be patient enough to give us very critical feedback. You know, this is what we like about the product. This is what we don't like about the product. So that when it starts to reach mass market the people are getting the best experience that we can offer them i see so initially it's for just testing and feedback so you can refine it exactly okay how did you pick your market uh beginning like how did you choose the pick the kickstarter people um it's it's a route that's worked well for hardware companies so far um so it's not particularly Kickstarter people, it's where do you find your early adopters? So when you're taking a product to, to market, you know, how do I get this product? And the yeah, yeah. But so Kickstarter, Indiegogo, campaign sites like this, people that are looking for products like this or on Reddit or something where it might come up. But how, how did you identify this group of people is what I'm asking. Yes, yeah, so, well, um, by taking the product out there and getting feedback. So we actually did some testing online ourselves. So we took the product out. So, for example, we spent a whole day at, at Comic-Con in San Diego. We put our product on, on the Internet, so across different, different websites, just looking at what people think about this. And um, did some preliminary research, you know, as, 
as much as a, as a small startup can do. And, and that was how we identified who the kind of people were that would initially be the right early adopter for this, who could give the right feedback. I see. Just background information. Uh, what is a tech startup accelerator? Yeah, so a, a tech startup accelerator is um, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. So the company goes in there and the aim is to accelerate you to the next stage. So that's different for each company. So we, in the accelerator that we were part of, we had companies that were just at the idea stage. We had companies that were at the market validation stage. We had companies that were at the growth stage. But it's really, so it's, it's tailored for, depending on which accelerator you go into, there are some that are hardware-focused. The one, ours, ours was hardware-focused. And it's tailored for each company to take them from stage one and rapidly get them to the next stage for them. So for us, it was really a lot about focusing on what's the... We, we did a bit of work on the marketing side of things and quite a bit of work on the product development side of things as well. So looking at what market we should be aiming for, not just in the short term, but the grand vision for the company mm-hmm. and how do we create a product that addresses that. Addresses that. Yeah, so how did that develop? So how did you choose to for the early adopters in the tech field and how was that affected by the tech startup accelerator? Yeah, so the the great thing about Accelerator was the net was one one of the great things about it is the network you get out of it. So you get to talk to founders of other robotics companies and what they've done to get to where they're today. So and and that was how we figured out our strategy really. Just talking to four or five founders, we found that a pattern occurred where you know if you're creating a consumer product, what's worked best is to put it out there to your early adopters and the best channel to reach them on today is via online and platforms like Kickstarter, Indiegogo are there to make that easier for you. And then when you reach your early adopters, you then, and you have your direct sales and you've gotten your feedback, then you start to go into the retail channels. So it was really talking to other founders and identify what, identifying what strategy worked for them and looking at how we could apply it to our product as well. Gotcha. So I believe my impression would be that the early adopters that you find on these websites would be a much smaller market than, say, the toy industry. And so how are you guys maintaining funding until you tap into a larger market? Um, so just, just like any, any startup, so we... VC, we, venture capitalists? Yeah, so, invested so in we, you? Yeah, so we raise, we raise money from investors that share our vision and like what we're working on. So just like any startup... We raise and then use that money to help you develop before you get to market. So the money you raise is to fill that gap before you're self-sustainable. Going back to the Mecca monsters, there has been some previous robotic battle toys. Um, One that I had when I was a kid was called RumbleBots. And... The the idea with RumbleBots was they were little remote control robots. You you didn't use a smartphone, but you loaded in different behaviors, attacks, that kind of thing, by scanning in cards to them. And so they would read the cards, and then after they were all loaded, the devices would battle. Uh, this company wasn't a very. It, it, they went bankrupt. Uh, I'm wondering, what is different about us? Yeah, it's it's a question we get. Um, all the time because you know when you think about it battle robots it's a 
it's an idea that a lot of people have had over time. It's recurring, you know, you've got BattleBots in the US or RoboBots in the UK, Real Steel, movies have come out about this. So it's something that people want. And, you know, I've, it took us a while as well to figure out exactly why, you know, what's different about us or, or why we're going to, to succeed. And it, it boils down to, for everyone that's tried it, to create a battle robot, and, and there are loads of companies that have tried to do this in the past, what you're trying to do is create an experience. At the end of the day, it's the experience that matters. And um, so we've uh, looked at it, okay, we're going to create this experience of people being able to battle each other. How exactly are we going to make it the best experience that they can get? And we've taken that approach to everything that we've done. So initially, to kick this off, we took a lot of advice from people in the, in the toy industry and then took a lot of advice from people in the hardware industry. So it's, it's a bit of a lengthy answer because it, it, it requires so the, the, the first thing is if you're going to create a successful product, there has to be three elements to it. So competition, collectability, and um, customization. So we have all of that element in there in itself. And if you look... Where do you get these products, three from? So these, these were recurring um, answers from toy industry uh, veterans that, 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 we, that we talked to. So if you look at products that have been successful, you know, apart from the massive amount of marketing budget that went behind them, fundamentally they had this stuff. So again, Skylanders that I was, that I was talking about, um, stuff like Pokemon, Tamagotchi, you had these, like if we're looking at just purely the toy industry. So when now, when it comes to battle robots themselves, this is stuff that captures people's imagination. When people say, I'm going to buy a battle or I want a battle robot, they're not thinking, I want a plastic, you know, toy or something. They're thinking, I want the epic, awesome robot that I saw in this movie I watched yesterday. So to really deliver that experience, we've had to focus a lot on the hardware itself. So, for example, the RumbleBots, I think they had a, a price of uh, about $40, looking at their cost. So, I mean, that means their, their, their bill of materials must have been something like uh, $10. So looking at, and this was back a while back, right? So looking at the type of technology that was available for that price at the time, the type of components you could get, I don't imagine you would get very good. Oh, yeah, and they were before the cell phone boom, so all the, I mean, you get your IMU on your chip. And... Exactly. So so it, it was before the time. So the, mm -hmm. the experience that we're trying to Things deliver... Things are much cheaper and more powerful now. Exactly. So the experience that we're trying to deliver, maybe it wasn't right for the for the time. But we've had to think a lot about the hardware. So, for example, our robot is very complex. It's got, you know, 12 degrees of freedom altogether. So that means it can move 12 degrees of, so three, three per leg. So, so that means you can make it create awesome moves just as you'd see in a movie. And then, you know, we've had a lot of things about, you know, we've had to think a lot about what happens if a leg of a robot breaks, for example, which is why the robots are now modular. So things... You know things we haven't really announced yet because it's still in in, uh, in development, but which we will soon. So we've had a massive think about and looking at it from it's it's user experience driven. So creating an experience, and we've had to create the hardware to deliver that experience as well. I think that's what's different about us. Looking at you know the timing is right, and the approach we've taken is right as well. And we hope our you know the reaction and the feedback we've been getting points that way. And uh, when we get to market, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we'll get wrong at the start. And that's why we'll appreciate the feedback that we get to tailor it. But all of us on the team, you know, we're, we're gamers, we're engineers. So we're not going to put something crappy out there. That's what we hope anyway. 
So we're looking at it from the point of view of how are we going to create the best user experience possible? And that's what's driven us um, so far. I see. And so what channels are you putting in place for getting feedback? So a few, let me see, during the accelerator itself, I mean, we've got sure. emails. People can send loads of emails to us. During the accelerator itself, we sent out some surveys just to get feedback from customers. Um, so we sent our survey to about 1,000. What, what do you plan to once you unveil it for the early adopters audience? Yeah, and, and what we plan after that. Yeah, so we, we, sent, we, sent out fee, uh, so we sent out a survey to get feedback, and we asked some you know, open, open-ended questions, non-leading questions. These are questions sometimes to confirm uh, some of our hypothesis or to, um, to challenge some of our hypothesis, for example. Or, or what? It's, you're always challenging uh, uh, an hypothesis, but to confirm some of our assumptions, rather. Um, and then we've gone to events, so live events, with the people that we think are our target market, for example. So as, as I mentioned, Comic-Con here in San Diego. In the long run, when the product is out there, we're going to be doing a lot of face-to-face uh, interaction. So once we're at a stage where we can start beta testing, there are going to be lots and lots of uh, invites out to get people to just try this and give us feedback. And then, now the great thing about this product is that it's, it's digital in every sense of the word. So you're controlling it from a phone. So that means we can look at how people are using the product and get instantaneous feedback, which I think is also great uh, for, the, for the time we're launching this product as compared to, say, Rumblebots, for example. We can know exactly how people want to play with this robot and what they do with it and exactly what they don't like about it and change it on the fly, so to say. So these are these are. It connects to Wi-Fi or something, or it's Bluetooth that you're connecting the robot. But can you send updates over Bluetooth? Not not in itself, but they are. So it has to connect to Wi-Fi somehow. So the this is in the software itself. So we have we'll have a control control infrastructure in there for how you control control the robot from the app. So because the app is connected to the internet, we can then know. Gotcha. So the brains of the robot are in the smartphone. Yeah. It's just a big actuator that you buy as the robot so uh, it's, that receives its message. It's like fly-by-wire for DJ Kumar's lab. Yeah, it works. Mostly. So there's, um, we're lev- really leveraging the power of the, of, the, of the smartphone, I think, as part of the gameplay experience itself. Mm-hmm. And so um, be- because yeah, the brains ahead. of the robot are on the smartphone, you controlling what it does from the smartphone... You can add new behaviors to the smartphone to make it do new things, and that's how you can update it by updating your app or exactly. however you're running your back end. Exactly. See. Yeah. So, so, so that that's that's a that's a, an idea of how, of how it works. Yeah. It, it's a neat neat way of controlling it. So, now going back to the startup accelerator, uh, what was it like? Oh, hectic! Like I, I, I need to sleep. Um, it was a, it was a very intense period. Actually, just for context, we're, you're right at the end of it, correct? Yeah, yeah so we've uh, we graduated uh, last week, so the accelerator itself finished uh, last week. Um, it was a very intense uh, four four months for everyone on the team um, and all the other companies that were here as well. So the, let me see the best way to put it. You've got um, you've got a target that you're working towards. So there's demo day at the end of the accelerator, and it's it's fixed that date doesn't move and what you show at the end of it it's up to you but it's an opportunity to really accelerate or you know really 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 rapidly uh 
take your company to the next level. So for everyone in a startup, you're trying to work to take it. What do we refer to as levels? What are these levels we're talking about? So, for example, for a, for a pre-seed company, it would be to raise a seed round so that you can get to market faster. And that's get enough funding. Okay. Yeah, so seeding yeah, is get funding. Enough, okay. get funding. For, another, for other companies, it's to, by demo day, we need to have 100 letters of intent that they're going to use. So if it's a B2B company, then it's 100. So it's progressing to kind of the next, I mean, you said level. So the next level of the company stage where it is towards bringing their product to market and being successful yeah, in market? Growing, whatever it is for your company. So everyone goes into the accelerator with this mindset of we've got four months and this is our deadline and you work extremely hard to, to make that happen. And this is all the while trying to take advantage of the network networking opportunities that you're getting. You know, um, the, 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 we met a lot of world-class people, you know, founders, like the, the founders of Sphero, um, founders of other robotics company like Fetch Robotics, all these people that have lots of success stories that you one day want to be like them. You get to meet them. So you're taking all these feedback. It's just a massive boiler pot of feedback, development, business development, product development, everything all in one. It's a very, very intense period. Um, it's great, great fun at the same time. I see. So now what are some of the, before you decided to apply to be in the Startup Accelerator, what were some of the pros and cons of being in a Startup Accelerator that you considered? Uh, depending, on, on where you, depending on where you are. Um, so for us, we had to move out of the UK to the US for it. So, so that was, I mean, that was a pro because the, the weather in the UK sucks. So, you know, you, no one complains about going to sunny San Diego. But you know you're you're leaving family behind. I mean, it's, it's all part of the startup roller coaster, right? Like you know, ups and downs, emotions, and, and all that. So, and you're leaving a well-known, a well-known um, establishment or infrastructure that you have behind, you know, which which was prototyping infrastructure and everything to something where you don't know at all, which you know slowed us down a bit in terms of development, for example, for, for at least a few weeks. So, and then in, ter- in terms of the the. Cons, there aren't that many cons. Or the pros, you mean? To be honest. Or, or the cons? Yeah, there aren't that many cons. So the only, the only con I would think is you're leaving a well-established infrastructure behind to something that's unknown. Um, going into it, we were all super, super excited. So the pros way outweigh the cons. So it's an opportunity to take your company to the next level. So an opportunity to meet world-class uh, mentors. It's an opportunity to meet other founders. It's an opportunity to... Um, really spend a four-month intensive period with your team and get to know them better, and everyone is focused on the same goal and the same target. Um, so the the pros way outweigh the the con. If you've got a startup company and you, there are different levels of accelerators, right? TechStars is a great, it's a fantastic one. They've done a great job. So you know, if if you have an opportunity to apply to TechStars accelerator, take it. I'd, I'd say. Gotcha. And so it sounds like you've learned a lot from this accelerator. But what, were, what was, would you say, the largest lesson or thing that you took away from it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to think of one. On, on the, we learned a lot. This might not be the largest lesson I've learned because I haven't had time to actually reflect on it. You, know, you, sh- you should take time at the end of the accelerator just to sit somewhere and, and gather, your, gather your thoughts. But we learned a lot of, uh, a lot of great lessons. And... You know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one, which is um, I guess the best way to look at it is all the success stories that you see, all the big 
companies, no matter how big the companies are. At the end of the day, it boils down to, to people. People are what make uh, companies successful. So regardless of the product, regardless of the idea, regardless of the, of the market, which are all important, it's the team at the end of the day that's the most important. So at the very early stages of the company, it's really important to put together the right team and to treat the people that you find uh, right because at the end of the day, they make or break your company. So that would be the recurring sort of um, pattern I spotted with all the different companies I met. Gotcha. And would you talk a bit about the long-term goals of Reach Robotics? So the, to take over the world. Naturally. Um, yeah. yeah, truly, you know, a robotics company. What else, what else do you do? Um, and, and for us, you know, we, again, we, we have our roots in, I'd say the, the main things we want to focus on is consumer entertainment, and then we see a massive opportunity for us in the education space as well. So when, whenever, if, if we want to shorten it, whenever robotics and entertainment come together in the same sentence, it should be followed by reach robotics. If, if, if that's the way to describe where we, where we want our, our, our vision or what our vision is. Um, so for us, it's really to get the product to market, get feedback and always be creating something that delivers a great user experience. I think um, in, in the toy industry, for example, there isn't a lot of, uh, as opposed to the consumer tech industry, there isn't a lot of brand uh, loyalty because you can just release a new brand, brand like a one-hit product each year, and then just create another one next year. And there isn't really a name that sticks around, as opposed to, say, Samsung, Apple, and all these giants in other industry and tech. So we, we want to change that and really focus on the user experience that we're developing and create a lasting company, as opposed to a one-hit wonder. What are some of your ideas on doing that, so creating a strong brand? So creating a strong brand, uh, community is important uh, to us. So exactly how, you know, again, there are lots of, we, we can't really deep dive into the, into the product in here. But for example, people will be, what we want people to be able to do is to create skills for their robots and be able to share them online. So what that means is if I create a new battle skill, I can share it with, uh, with, with my friend. So there's a community aspect to it. If you design something for your robot, you know, like a shield or a weapon, and then you'd like to 3D print it, we want to have that infrastructure in place in the long run. So we're going to focus on brand and community as part of our key um, defining uh, features for the company itself. I see. Now, how useful would you say was your university experience, so your engineering and robotics background, for your current endeavor with Reach Robotics? A make or break, so to say. Um, well, you can't go into robotics without having a background in robotics. You know, you wouldn't know what you were doing, at least to get off the ground. I and mean, I still don't know what I'm doing, but I know it. I knew enough to get off the ground. There's, there's always you know, new technology coming out and you're picking it up, but the foundation is really important. And the university education gave me that foundation. Um, to be able to have a broad understanding of, you know, the robotics space. And then there were lots of opportunity for networking through the university as well. So when I was in university, I, I was doing this stuff with, a, I think it's called STEAM here. We call it STEM over there. So that was an opportunity to network with uh, other people that were interested in STEAM. And it was through the university network that actually 
found my, my co-founders as well, so through the robotics lab where, where I was based. So it's, um, yeah, it was make or break. I can't picture being here without the path I've taken. Other people have taken different paths, but for me and for us, we, we wouldn't be here without it. So why did you choose to start the company and begin doing this now immediately after your bachelor's? rather um, than getting more education or not. How did you make this decision? Uh, impatience, I suppose. Like I actually started the company during um, my, my, my bachelor's itself, so during my studies. Um, whenever you've got an you know, itching idea that you just, you're not going to wait for anyone. You just do it and you figure it out along the way. So it's always been that mentality, you know. We'll, we'll do it live, as they say. You just... Just get on the road and we'll just do it live. We'll figure it out. Otherwise, you just you wait yourself to death, basically. Um, you're just like, oh, it's, it's never the perfect time. And I've found that, you know, no matter how uncertain you are about something, if you just go out there and do it, along the way, you'll find the right people. Or if, even if they don't have the answer, they will point you in the right direction towards the answer. So there's never a perfect time. You just go for it. And that was what we what we did. Thank you. And that's all from us for today. More information about this and all our past episodes are available on robohop.org. Our next episode will air in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Play with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.